Scripture reading today comes from Numbers 13, verses 25 through 33. Numbers 13, 25 through 33. The Scripture reads, At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there the Amalekites dwell in the land of Nagab, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they, brought the people to, so they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. This is the word of the Lord to us. Amen. Well. One thing the Bible reminds us, and if you've been in Bible study on Wednesday, then you would have heard that Pastor Phil was teaching on the attributes of God. And the Bible reminds us that God is a loving Father. He is a loving Father. And we are His children. He loves us. He cares for us. He watches over us. He provides for us. And God is good, as Pastor Phil reminded us again. The Lord is good. And he, therefore, delights to do good things and all these things and more for his children. An interesting thing about all that God does for his children and loving and providing for his children is that God doesn't ask us for help. He doesn't ask us to love him before he loves us. He doesn't ask for our assistance. He doesn't ask us to be good before he is good to us. He doesn't ask us to earn his mercy. He doesn't ask us to earn his grace. The only thing that God ever asked of his people is that we would believe him. That's all he asks. That we, his children, whom he loves, whom he cares for, whom he provides for, would just have faith in him. Nothing pleases God more 
Nothing acknowledges who he is and all that he has done more so than faith. This is all that God requires of us is that each of us, each of his children would exercise that gift of faith, that measure of faith that he has given to each of us this morning. If you are a child of God this morning, then God has given to you all things necessary for life and godliness and especially the means to please him. Your faith, your faith, he has given you that measure. And he doesn't require you to exercise the measure of faith that he has given to me, nor does he require me to exercise the measure of faith that he has given to you. All he requires is that we would exercise the gifts that he has given to us, that measure of faith that you have, beloved. And if you are a child of God this morning, then you have received a measure of faith. And all God requires, all he asks, that you would exercise that, that you would believe in him. And that would please him. That would please him. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, right, in verse 6, that without faith it is impossible to please him. Jesus told his disciples this plainly, didn't he, in Mark chapter 11 and verse 22. He just put it real plainly. He told them, he says, have faith in God. That's it. That's it. Have faith in God. And if you have faith in God, then Jesus says, right, in John chapter 14 and verse 1, if you believe in God, then you will believe in me. So when Jesus says have faith in God, what Jesus said, have faith in me. Have faith in Christ. This is the desire of God for you and me this morning. The reason that you are here is so that you would be encouraged once again to have faith in God. That's why we preach. That's why we gather. That's why we fellowship, so that we could encourage each other once again, have faith in God. When you come here on Sunday morning and we stand up here and we go through all this sermon, it boils down to one thing. We are trying and attempting by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit to encourage you to have faith in God. That's it. That's it. That's it, beloved. That, that, that is the practical end of everything we do. Okay, there is a theoretical end. There is a biblical end. But the practical end of everything that we do is that you and I would have faith in God. That is the practical end of the means of grace. And we say we're going to pray, we're going to pray to what end? Practically, so that you and I would have more faith in God. 
When we preach, we do it practically so that you and I would have more faith in God. When we come to the Lord's table, the practical end of that is so that you and I would be increased in our faith. The fellowship, the giving, the singing, that is the practical end. Practical end is the strengthening of our faith and trust in God. That is true today. That has always been true. That was true for the children of Israel. As they come to the promised land. As they are on the verge of entering into the the promised land. Their whole journey of faith has been for this practical end that they would have faith in God. In the journey from Egypt to Canaan, we come to Numbers chapter 13, has been a daunting and tumultuous and often difficult journey. It has been some two years, some 24 months since they left Egypt, crossed, crossed through the Red Sea, and God has taken them on this route, this journey, to this moment in time. It's been a difficult one, and Israel has had to, throughout this journey, has been leaning upon and at the mercy of God all the way. And even when they have been faithless, and as we've seen, beloved, they have been faithless time and time again. God has proven himself faithful. When we come to Numbers 13, it's time to enter fully, fully. Now it is time. Now it is time to enter fully into the promises of God. But in order for them to enter into the promises of God again, again, they would have to believe him. That's the point. That's the point. They were going to have to exercise faith. They were going to exercise faith. Now, beloved, I want us to understand something here in Numbers 13. This is a critical moment. This is a critical time in the history of the nation of Israel. This is a critical moment at the time of the people of God. Because what God is seeking to discover here and to show is to answer the question, was there faith in Israel? Is there faith in Israel? Is there true faith in God? Oh, was Moses the only one? Moses is a huge figure, a towering character. And it is possible that Israel has made this journey all along upon the faith of Moses. This episode here is going to show whether or not there is actually faith in Israel or it's Moses the only one. To whom, to whom would the leadership of Israel be entrusted once Moses is gone? 
Would the whole thing fall apart? Who was ready to really trust God? Who was ready to really believe God? Here's a question I have. Here's a question I have for you this morning. Okay? When, when was the last time, if ever, beloved, and you be honest with yourself, when was the last time, if ever, you trusted God for something only God can do? I mean, really, really had to exercise faith in God. When was the last time, if ever, that you walked by faith and not by sight? Honestly. Because you know, we reformed thinking and reform-minded people, we understand faith well. Okay? We can talk about it intellectually. We can rehearse it theologically. We can recite it biblically. But I wonder just how well we walk it out experientially. How real is the faith in our lives? The faith, beloved, faith, biblical faith is not a dogma to be debated. Biblical faith is not a theory to be taught. Biblical faith is a life to be lived. And this is what God is seeking for his people to discover even in our text. And I would suggest for you in our lives this morning. Faith involves trusting in the unseen. Faith involves trusting the inexplicable. Faith involves. Faith involves. Stepping out on waters that you know that when you step out on them on your own, you're going to sink. Faith involves moving mountains that you know on your own are immovable. When was the last time? When was the last time you got before God and believed Him for something that you knew only He could do? And you really believed and really believed that He would do it. This is what God is seeking to reveal here. This was Israel under the leadership of Moses as they come to Numbers 13. They were on the cusp of going into the promised land, the land that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And would they believe, would they believe in the God for whom the impossible is possible. Would they trust in the God 
who cause forth those things that be not as though they were. Before they go into the land, the Bible says that they asked if they could spy it out. Okay? They asked if they could spy it out. Now, our text doesn't tell us that they asked if they could spy it out. But if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 1, beginning in verse 22, as Moses is retelling this account, he kind of fills in the, the blank spots. And Moses tells us that the people of Israel came to Moses and asked Moses before they go into the land, can we send spies, men, into the land to spy it out? And Moses says, I'll talk to God about that. And apparently God says, well, that's okay. You can go spy it out. And so when we come to, when we come to Numbers chapter 13, the Bible tells us that God told them that they could go into the land and spy it out. Now, beloved, for some, they may see this as a lack of faith. After all, God had already told them that they were going to have the land. But I want to give them the benefit of the doubt here. Okay, because as they say in, in, in the military, time spent on reconnaissance is never wasted time. Okay, and, 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 and it's always good, I think, beloved, I think it's always good to try to get the lay of the land. Because faith in God is not blind faith. Okay, it's not blind faith. It is an informed faith. And therefore, we get all the information that we can get. Okay, if there's something wrong with us, okay, we go to the doctors and we want all the information you got. I want everything you got. That is not all I'm dealing with, but I want what you got. I want to do some reconnaissance on this thing. And so we, we talk to the doctors. We talk to the bankers. We discuss our options with the lawyers. The thing is, beloved, that we must not let the info, that info, deter us, not remind us of our need to trust God even more. And so it was with Israel. Nothing wrong with sending these spies in there to do a little reconnaissance. Let's get all the information we can get. And so they send these 12 spies into the land to map out the land and familiarize themselves with the people in it. And this would not only be, therefore, an exercise in, in intelligence, right? But with God, is going to show them that this is actually an exercise in faith. Their thinking is going to be an exercise in intelligence gathering. No. This is an exercise in faith gathering. Exercise in faith. Exercise in your faith. That's what God does. You know, as we know, in order to build muscle, you have to, what you got to do, Brother Bino? You got to exercise, right? You got to exercise. That's right. You got to exercise. In order to build muscles and to get healthy, you got to exercise. You got to exercise muscles in order for them to grow. So it is also with faith, beloved. Faith has to be exercised. Has to be exercised in order for it to grow. God supplies 
what you need in order for that faith to be worked out, he supplied it to Israel. Supplied it to Israel. Okay? The exercise of their faith. And you see this in the foundation of faith. Foundation of our faith. What is the foundation of our faith? God's word. God's word. And what does God give them? God gives them his word. In Numbers chapter 13 and verse 1, the Bible says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. That's the foundation of faith. You have the word of God, right? You have it. God already said he was going to give it to them. He was going to give them the land. He had promised the land to Abraham. Now he was reiterating the promise to them. He was laying the foundation for their faith, namely his word. God had determined that they were going there. This was theirs. He was giving it to them. They had spent enough time in the desert. It was time that they were going. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, the Bible says, The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Horeb was the mountain they were at before they set out for the promised land. That was the last camping ground that they had. And God says, okay, you've stayed long enough here. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites, and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. Beloved, as far as heaven is concerned, this is a done deal. As far as God is concerned, this is a done deal deal. Faith then is the conviction that God's word, especially his promises, are not just true, but they are done. They're not just true, okay? They are done. When God makes a promise, beloved, (laughs) This prophet isn't contingent on anything except God determines to bring it to pass. And if God is determined to bring it to pass, then it is already done. When the Lord God spoke to Eve in the garden and said, Eve, I will give you a son who would crush the heel of the serpent. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God sacrificed before the foundation of the world. The promise that God made to Eve is not just a promise that was going to come true. It was a promise that was already done. That's the nature of God's promises. That's the nature of God's promises, brothers and sisters. That's the nature of faith. 
Faith is not only believing that God promises are true. Faith is believing that what God has promised is done. It's done. When Jesus promise, promises that he would go to heaven and prepare a place for you, beloved, that place was already prepared. It was done. When God tells them to go and take the promised land, it is a land that he had already given them. They taken something that God had already gave. This is the foundation of faith, beloved. It is a belief and a trust in God's word. This is why God, Peter calls what God has given to us in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, he calls them very great and precious promises. Because they're not just true. They're done. That's the foundation of faith. And the foundation of faith is God's word. And then we see the function of God's word. What is the function of God's word, therefore? The function of God's word is our encouragement. Okay, God's word comes to us. It lays the foundation of our faith. And then when we receive it and trust it, what does it do? It bolsters our faith and creates in us courage encourages us. This is the function of God's word. You see this in verse 20, chapter 13. It says, when they go into the land, they were to see whether or not the land is good or bad, rich or poor, weak or strong. But the instructions were also, whatever you see or hear, okay, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. And the spies were told to go and look with their eyes. But don't believe only what you see. This is the function of God's word to his people. It's so that we would take courage. Take courage. Nobody, no one said, no one said, and I'm not saying it this morning, beloved, that trusting God is easy. It's not. It is not. No one has said and no one is saying that there will not be obstacles. That there will not be people and situations and things in the way. But what we are saying is what the Bible says, and that is in spite of it all, you have God's word. Be encouraged. Don't, don't be discouraged. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, the Bible says, Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving to us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up, take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. What? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Do you see the connection between God's word functioning in our lives so that we would be encouraged? You have the word of God. Don't be discouraged. You have the promises of God. 
Don't be afraid. In Acts chapter 25, 27, when uh, um, Paul and his associates are out on this ship, and, and Paul tells them, you know, I really don't think it's a good idea we should get on this ship, but they insist they're going to get on this ship anyway, and they go out to sea, and all of a sudden this tumultuous storm comes. Tumultuous storm comes, and it seems like everybody's life on the ship is going to be lost. And what does Paul say? Paul says, verse 25, Men, keep up your courage, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Just as his word says, it will happen. Take courage. Do not be afraid. That's the function of God's word, courage. Foundation of our faith is God's word. The function of God's word is our encouragement. Notice the fruit, therefore, of our courage is God's provision, okay? The fruit of our courage is God's provision. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 23 and 24, when they reached the valley of Eskel, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. And two of them carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranate and figs. This place was called the Valley of Eskol because the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. Now, when you trust in God, when you trust in God and take courage in God, what God does, beloved, is that the more you take courage in Him, then he's going to give you more reasons to take courage in him. The more you take courage in him, he's going to give you reasons. He's going to provide reasons. And when the spies, when the spies, beloved, went into the promised land, the Bible tells us that they covered some 250 miles up and down the promised land. They saw marvelous things. They saw the place where Abraham first received the promises of God. They saw the place where Abraham was buried. They saw the place where Rachel was buried. They saw the place where they were going to bury Joseph's bones who, was, who, they were carry, who they carried out of Egypt with them. They saw marvelous things, beloved. And the Bible says that on their way, on their way out, they stopped by the Eskel Valley. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Napa Valley, okay? I was supposed to go to Napa Valley, <laughs> but the devil hindered me. <laughs> because he hindered me, we were not able to go. They tell us that there 
in the Napa is some of the most fertile and rich soil and perfect climate for growing crops, and especially grapes in the country. Well, beloved, the Napa Valley has nothing on the Esco Valley. When they came into the Esco Valley, they saw grapes, clusters of grapes that were so huge that in order to carry them, it took two men and the grapes on a pole to get them out. And that is why it is called the Cluster Valley because it was so rich and so fertile. It's reminded them again that God's word is true. They bring these huge grapes. They bring figs. They bring pomegranates. There is more than enough in God's provision because there's always more than enough in God. I mean, this, this is the point, beloved. This is the fruit of you being encouraged in God. I told you, I told you, if you would just trust me, take courage, do not be afraid. There is going to be more than enough, more than enough. The Bible says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, beloved, every spiritual blessing. It tells us that he is able to do not just enough. But he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond anything that we ask or think. More than enough. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8, the Bible says that God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times. Now listen, beloved, okay? Listen. Listen to me very carefully, okay? You didn't just walk in the world changes, okay? My last name is not Dollar. Okay? But what we read there is Bible. God's people who are willing to trust his word and take courage and not be afraid will find the fruit of that courage, his provisions. Trust him. Believe in him. And he promises that he will provide sufficiently in all things, at all times. So much so that you're not going to ever just take care of yourself, Sister Mary, but you're going to be taking care of others. Because there's more than enough in God. More than enough. Spies saw what no living Israelite had ever seen. And that's the abundance of the promised land. 
the abundance of God's promises. Do you know that no living Israelite had ever seen that? It has been centuries, centuries since there was a child of God in the promised land. And these spies see that God's promises have not failed. They have ripened slow, but oh, how surely they ripen. And they come out, beloved, they come out full. They come out with God's promises. They come out with God's provisions. And now it is time to go back to the people and give them our report. And here we go. Here we see the fight for the future. Here we go. Now the battle is on. Are we going to walk by faith? Beloved, I'm telling you right here, right now, here, I wish I could have been there because the future of Israel was at stake. That, that's it. With this fight of faith, beloved, and I want to press this upon us this morning. With the fight of faith, the next generation is always at stake. That is the point. That is the point. The next generation is always at stake. Faith is not simply about today. Faith is about tomorrow. Will those who come behind me find me faithful? Will the line of faith stop with me? That's what believing God is about. next generation, will Israel fight the good faith, fight of faith? Will you and I this morning? I mean, beloved, you do understand. I know we're, we're walking in it and, and we are thanking the Lord for it. You do understand by the power and might of God, we did not establish East Point Church for us. We established it for our children. And our children's children. And believing God. And when they come behind us, they will find us faithful. That's what's at stake. Is there faith in Israel? Are you willing to fight? To walk? So spies... They come back. They've been gone. They've been gone, beloved. We got to rush on. They've been gone. They've been gone 40 days. 40 days. Now, again, I'm not all into, Brother Ann, I'm not all into that numerology and things like that. For those of you who are kind of into that, then 40 seems to be an important number. They tell us that it is the number of testing. And so we can look in the Bible and we can see that, can't we? Because Noah, Noah, the Bible says, was in the ark how long? Forty days and forty nights. The Bible tells us, remember last time we saw that when Moses was up on the mountain, how long was he up on the mountain? Forty 
40 days. The Bible tells in Deuteronomy chapter 9 and, and verse 8 that when he interceded on behalf of the nation of Israel, he interceded and prayed before the Lord 40 days. The Bible also tells us that Goliath was out there taunting the people of God. And how long did he taunt the people of God? 40 days. Days. The Bible tells us that when, when uh, Jezebel set off after Elijah and Elijah went on the run, how long was Elijah on the run? Forty days. When Jesus was taken out into the wilderness and tempted by the devil, the Bible tells us that he was out in the wilderness tempted. How long? Forty days. Now again, I don't know. I don't know whether 40 means something or not. But there seems to be, beloved, God is communicating to his people that this idea of 40 is a time of trial and a time of testing to see whether or not there is faith among his people. And for 40 days, they had been gone. And now they return. And they give two reports. Interestingly, the spies return, and their report is not a unanimous one. They have come back with a split decision. <laughs> Amazing. There is the majority report of the ten spies. And then there is the minority report of the two spies. Twelve spies went into the land. They come back with this split decision, a majority and a minority report. Well, let's see what these reports agree on, and then we'll see where they disagree. What did the reports agree about? Well, you see their agreement in verses 27 and 28. All the spies went into the same areas. All the spies witnessed the same things. All the spies saw the same people. And they all agree that the land is just as God has said it was. It was flowing with milk and honey. And that doesn't mean that the rivers actually had milk in them. And that doesn't mean that the streams actually were thick with honey. What that actually means is that the land is fertile and it is rich for raising livestock and growing crops. The land was sustained abundance. It has life-giving and life-sustaining resources. They all agreed that there was more than enough in that land to supply all of Israel's needs. They all agreed on that, and they all agreed that there were giants in the land. They all agreed that the enemy there was great. They all agreed that the enemy was imposing. They all agreed that the enemy was mean and that the enemy was fierce. They all saw the strongholds. They all saw the fortified cities. They all saw the sophisticated weaponry. They all agreed. It's a beautiful place, but there's mean, fierce, terrible people, giants in the land. That's where they agreed. 
Where did they disagree? The Bible says that after the spies gave their initial report and the people of Israel began to discuss and murmur and began to doubt whether or not this was possible, the Bible says that Caleb, Caleb spoke up and he said, excuse me, I'd like to make an amendment to the report. And I'd just like to say, let's go get it. Let's go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Stop all this talking. Let's go get it. And I like Caleb because Caleb is insane. Let's go next week. Let's go next month. No, Caleb is saying, let's go now. It's beautiful in that place. What happens, beloved? Again, the majority speaks up and responded with what the Bible calls a bad report. Somebody in the majority said, excuse me, but I want to amend the report to you. Verse 32 says that they gave a quote-unquote bad report which actually means a false report. You know what they said? They said, despite what the other gentleman has said, uh, we can't do that. No can do. No can do. The nations in there are greater than us. The land is too much for us. The people there are much bigger than us, and they will destroy us. My beloved, there could not have been two more different understandings of what was seen. Both of them saw the same thing. Both of them went to the same places, perhaps engaged with the same people. Witness the same cities and the same nations. What happened? The majority report looked only with the eyes of their head, while the minority report looked with the eyes of faith. The minority report, beloved, is not ignoring the majority report. Caleb just put an amendment on it. He's not denying that. But is saying what Caleb is saying, yes, that is true. But, beloved, there is more there than meets the eye. The eye is not all that there is. The majority report saw obstacles. Caleb and Joshua saw an opportunity. And that's the difference, beloved. That's the difference between trusting God and not trusting God. Are they obstacles or are they opportunities? 
That's it. That's it. Whatever comes down the pike, whatever is facing you today or tomorrow, the question is, will you look at it as an obstacle or will you see it as an opportunity? An opportunity to believe God. An opportunity to stand upon his word. An opportunity to trust him. An opportunity to see him move a mountain. Or will it just be an obstacle? The majority report saw the obstacles. Caleb said, oh no. These are opportunities. These are the opportunities we've been waiting on, beloved. Nothing could have been so different. One pastor, Alan Redpath, put it this way. The majority measured the giants against their own strength. Caleb and Joshua measured the giants against God. The majority trembled. The two triumphed. The majority had great giants, but a little God. Caleb had a great God, and therefore, little Giants. The majority said that the enemy is great. That minority said, yes, but our God is greater still. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Beloved, this is what the enemy wants to convince you of this morning, that your sin is great, that your guilt is great, that your shame is great. But the Spirit of God sent me by this morning to let you know that your sin may be great, but grace is greater. That your shame may be great, but his mercy is greater. God's grace is greater than all your sin. That's why we ask the question, right? Whose report will you believe? Don't just sing it, beloved. We're going to believe the report of the Lord. Whose report will you believe? We're going to believe the report of the Lord. I don't know, beloved. I don't know. Maybe your 40 days are up. I don't know. Maybe you just starting your 40 days. But let me tell you something this morning. That there are lessons. There are lessons from this fight that we need to learn. This fight of faith for the next generation. There are lessons. Each of us, each of us have our testing periods, and each of us have battles with the enemy. Each of us have battles with the enemies that seem insurmountable. What are you going to do? What are you going to do this week? Will you speak words of faith? Or will you speak words of doubt? Will you speak life or death? Will you speak victory or defeat? Will, will the faith of Bible study 
become the faith that you confess and live out every day. There's three lessons here that I want to leave you with this morning. As a nation of Israel should have learned that Joshua and Caleb were seeking to teach them. And the first one is this, that the God who brought you is the God who keeps you. The God who brought you, who brought you, is the God who keeps you. Listen, I can imagine Caleb, as they're giving this report and they're giving this false report, I can imagine Caleb and Joshua says, wait a minute. Did he not deliver us from Egypt? Did he not bring us through the Red Sea? Did he not deliver us from Marah? Has he not provided manna in the wilderness? Has he not brought water out of rocks? Has he at any moment, at any time, failed, beloved, to supply our needs? I sat, I sat this week for a long time and tried to remember a moment when God did not supply my need. I tried. And there, beloved, has not been a time when he has not supplied what we need. You got to remember that the God who brought you is the God who has promised to keep you. Why? Why, Israel? Why would God bring you to the threshold of the promised land and leave you there? The old saints used to sing, I don't feel no waste time. I've come too far from where I started from. Nobody told me that the road would be easy. But I don't believe that he's brought me this far just to leave me. He will keep you. The God who brought you will keep you. Psalm 121. Beginning in verse 5, the Bible says plainly, the Lord is your keeper. Just remember that. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out. He will keep your coming in from this time forth and forevermore, the Lord your God is your keeper. Lesson one, this week, remember that the Lord who brought you, is Lord who's going to keep you. Lesson two, we walk by faith, beloved, and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. The majority of the spies focused on what they saw. Beloved, we have to be convinced that we 
see and what we believe in is more important than what we see. Now that is hard. Okay, that is hard. But what we believe is more important than what we see. It is not being blind to the giants, but it's seeing the giants in light of who Jesus is. Walking by faith, therefore, is believing that Christ is better, that he is superior. It is seeing Christ in all things. It is seeing Christ at all times. Walking by faith is believing what God says more than what you say. Because, beloved, you will talk yourself out of trusting God. And I'm not telling you something I heard. Ain't nobody taught me this in a seminary classroom. I know this. You will talk yourself out of believing God. You will talk yourself out of trusting God. And those around you will talk you out of it too. Walking by faith, beloved, is not looking at what you can do. It's looking at what Christ can do. Looking at what Christ can do. This is what Paul meant when he says that I can do all things not through myself. I can do all things not in my own strength, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Faith is seen, beloved, but not with the eyes of your head. It is seen with the eyes of your heart, as it says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18. So this morning I ask you, would you pray? Would you pray and ask the Lord, Lord, open the eyes of my heart because I want to see you. I want to see you high and lifted up. I want to see what others can't see so that I can trust you in ways that others have been afraid to trust. Lord, open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. That's it, beloved. We walk by faith and not by sight. Lastly, third, we're done. We're done. Sister Bynum, we are done. Okay? The victory is not ours. It's the Lord's. It's the Lord's. Caleb and Joshua saw different because they were not thinking, beloved, about what they would do. They were thinking about what God would do. In fact, they were already thinking what God had already done. What our God had already done by the Red Sea. They remember. They remember when they were standing between a rock and a hard place. They remember when the sea was before them and Pharaoh's army was, was behind them. And they remember what Moses said in Exodus 14, verse 13. Fear not, stand firm, 
and see the salvation of the Lord, which will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you. He did it once. He can do it again. He did it once. He can do it again. Has he ever done it? He can do it again. Has he ever provided? He can do it again. Has he ever comforted you? He can do it again. Did he bring you through once? He can do it again. David understood this. He's standing out there. Goliath is mocking the people of God. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 47 says, All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. The victory is not ours, beloved. It's the Lord's. It's the Lord's reputation at stake. It's the Lord's word that is at stake. Beloved, this is on God. And I got to remind myself that. This is on God. If I don't make it to heaven, that's on God. God's got to get me there. Beloved, my children were small. And if they walked in this church and they didn't have any clothes on and they didn't have any food, you wouldn't go to them and ask them, how come you don't have any clothes on? How come you don't have any food? No, you would come to me. That's on me. And it is not, beloved, until you realize that your life and your faith and your victory is on God will then you begin to walk by faith. It ain't on me. It's on God. And that's why, beloved, when I come through, he gets the praise. He gets the glory. He gets the honor. He gets the worship. It's not on me. It's on God. Caleb and Joshua are not speaking up for themselves. They're speaking up for God. They're telling them what God can do, what God will do. Beloved, that's why when we preach, we are reminded, Pastor Phil, we don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ. Because, beloved, the victory is not ours. It's the Lord's. And when all is said and done, he will get the glory. He will get the honor. And he will get the praise. That's what it means, beloved, to walk by faith and not by sight. Let's pray.